Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 1 in the New Testament. And the last time, so we go in this church, we, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of denominations and people often ask why there's so many denominations in Christianity. Probably because a lot of denominations take little pieces of the Bible and they, you know, that they like for their denomination and they discard others, unfortunately. So what we do with this church is we go through the entire Word of God. We go through the Old Testament, we go through the New Testament, and it makes us more well-rounded and really understand God better because we know the totality of His Word. So the last time we were in Malachi, which is circa 2,400 years ago, uh, where the Lord is speaking to His people who are becoming very decadent. The culture is becoming decadent, it's becoming worldly, even the religious system was becoming corrupt, and God had no problem pointing that out. So it was a little bit of a sobering teaching, but I got to tell you, I, I see some parallels in our country. I think there's this unhidden or this hidden, unseen sort of battle between good and evil. And there's a lot of misinformation, disinformation. People are confused what's right, what's wrong. So I definitely made some parallels because the human beings don't really change. Like human beings, thousands of years, hundreds of years, they just cycle, right, through different kingdoms and empires and parts of the world. Um, Interestingly enough, if you look at the polls, it's anywhere between, and I've seen a few polls, anywhere between 74% and 86% of the country think that we're going in the wrong direction. Now that's interesting because that actually crosses both political parties. So it's not a Republican-Democrat thing, it's, it's a thing, it's a spiritual thing. Uh, today we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 1. We're going to do an overview about Thessalonians. And uh, again, this is more upbeat. I, I have to laugh. If you're not, if you're part of this church and, you know, you're very interested in, you know, being a part of the church, we do have a Facebook group. And I, I sort of give a teaser every Friday, Saturday about what Sunday's going to look like. So I kind of went through this thing where I said, hey, I, I just checked it out on the news. I, you know, logged onto my computer, internet news. Uh, war, crime, shootings, inflation, price of eggs are high, you know, and then I just kind of shut that off, and I went to my notes in First Thessalonians, and it's like love, peace, joy, hope, excitement, being involved in something bigger than yourself. So I got really excited about that, and I sort of made that contrast, but we're going to look at this message in four parts, and the first part is the overview, Right? And this is important, right? This is very important. I even tell people, oh, I'm sick. I'm like, got to get it on the live stream because I always do an overview, right? What does the history look like? What does the archaeology look like? What, a, you know, what does the geography and the topography look like before we start this book? Because we could read the words on a page and not really understand it unless we have a foundation. So looking at this, the overview is who was this written to? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote it to the church in Thessalonica. The Apostle Paul founded Thessalonica along with Silas or Silvanus and Timothy. Jason later, later assisted in a big way. Where is this place? 
So this city is called Thessaloniki in, in uh, northern Greek. And it's actually gone through because you're talking about uh, circa within the first century A.D. So listen, almost two millennia have passed and the names change, right? The, the, the city was called Thessalonica. It was called Saloniki. Uh, now it's called Thessaloniki. Some of you might have even visited it. It's in northern Greece uh, where it borders Macedonia at the north end of the Aegean Sea. It's a port city which boasts a million inhabitants. Now, this is kind of interesting because even in ancient times, it boasted quarter of a million inhabitants. That's actually pretty impressive for an ancient city. It's situated on the, it was situated on the Roman Via Ignatia Highway, which was the hub to commerce and travel. And the Apostle Paul founded this church on a second missionary journey. Now, this is important because, again, I'm, wh wh why all the details, Pastor Joe? Because this is a church, this is a success story. When we actually look at this small group of people, right? Big city life. And, and I see this too with people that I know. For some, they're impervious to it. For others, they're uh, negatively affected by it. Whether we're talking New York City or Philly or D.C. And they go and there's so many vices. There's so much uh, distractions. So many, and listen, I, I grew up in, in a city type area. So there's a lot of excellent people that live there. And a lot of good things, you know, you can, in walking distance, you can get a lot of stuff done. Uh, but there is also this possibility of these other influences that come in that this small fledgling church is now having to deal with, right? When was it written? A.D. 51 by the Apostle Paul from Corinth. And this was after Timothy's good report. So the church is founded. And Timothy eventually comes and revisits the church, comes back to the Apostle Paul, and gives him some great news. Now, there were some reasons why the Apostle Paul, after he founded the church, couldn't stay long. And that's germane to how we talk about how they thrived, right, and succeeded. And we're going to get to that. Why was it written? Well, again, it was in response to Timothy's good report, but... It also was a, a mixture of a lot of different things, as a lot of the letters to the churches were. So one is encouragement. Another was settling theological and eschatological questions. In other words, in other words, they were new believers, right? They had believed in Jesus Christ. Jesus had already ascended into heaven. So they had a lot of questions. You know, when's the Lord going to come back? A lot of people are saying things. You know, we had some uh, loved ones who were Christians and then they died. But, but the Lord didn't come back. Did they see the Lord? What? So Paul is kind of giving them sort of a, an understanding of, you know, a lot of different things regarding Christianity, right? Uh, in addition to proper behavior and even dealing with church conflict. This is what I find interesting about this book, right? First Thessalonians focuses more on the Lord's harpazo or rapture in, again, the first letter to the Thessalonians, and the second letter focuses more on the Lord's second coming. Now, for those of you who are new to the church, we don't set dates. Weird people do that. Jesus said, don't set dates. You're not going to know when I come back. You don't need a bunch of people standing around looking at the sky. That's my paraphrase. Uh, so, you know, so cults do that. Cults say, and we, we listen, 2011, we, we heard all these very close dates from where we are. The Lord's going to come back. Well, obviously, they were wrong. And I always say, if somebody sets a date, the Lord's definitely not coming back because He said nobody would know. So stop doing it. 
but people still do it. It's sort of the fringe in uh, Christianity, which I wouldn't even call Christianity. I would call pseudo-Christianity. However, we're, we're told about these, these circumstances where the, when the Lord comes back, the events and things like that, and to, you know, to be ready, to be good Christians, to have an effect on your neighbors and your relatives and things like that. So we're going to cover these, these events, right? Um, lastly, when we read this, right away and something popped out at me i mean i taught this maybe 15 years ago i don't think i even something happened to my one of my computers of course i didn't back it up and uh it fried and i lost all my notes so i couldn't even go back to refer i think god does that on purpose so he'd give me fresh ideas and not to to have a crutch of oh i just go go onto my you know desktop and find what i did no i'm not doing that but i don't remember seeing the amount of joy and positivity in the letter when I first taught it. I think back in the old days, I used to kind of go things kind of quickly. Now I've kind of slowed down and really tried to look more at the details, which I think are very, very important and shouldn't be missed. So this church um, survived in in the face of hostility and persecution and all these things, but it not only survived, but it thrived. And that's miraculous. So what does thriving mean? Sometimes we get the wrong impression in, Mer- in American Christianity. We go on TV and sometimes we look at some of these Christian... I mean, there's a lot of good preachers, right, on, on TV and famous preachers. And then there's just a lot of weird stuff. So sometimes when you go onto the Christian channel, you, you sort of get a mixed bag. Same thing with the internet. Are they teaching solidly the Word of God? Or are they teaching things that they're just kind of cherry-picking so that they can be aggrandized or whatever you want to say so as we look at this um, what is a thriving church does it mean they were rich no they weren't rich that's not what uh, in god's eyes that's not a successful church necessarily that you're rich or not rich does it mean the thessalonians turned their church little fellowship into a mega church no that didn't happen either right mega churches are probably in the last century um did it mean that you know, did, did thriving mean that the church turned into a bunch of celebrity pastors with skinny jeans, like what you see today? No, I wouldn't be caught dead with skinny jeans, by the way. You know, I'm just not, that's not happening here. I, my other pastors agree, but, you know, it's sort of this thing, this trendy stuff, right? Trendy, just stick with the Word of God. But we'll, we're going to look at how God sees success versus how the world sees success. Amen. And we'll, we're, we'll also learn how to thrive in the face of hostility or oppression or, you know, however things might change in our culture. We just talked about this in, uh, with the security discussion before we, we started. So jumping in in verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1, says, Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were 
among you for your sake. So two out of four is teamwork in ministry. Now, there are false historians. There are revisionist historians. There are people today, and you'll hear them, and some of them are actually famous and popular, who try to attack the veracity and the foundation of Scripture. They will say that the Apostle Paul was a rogue pastor. We like Jesus. We like John. You know, but this guy, he wasn't anointed. He shouldn't have been. And basically what they're trying to do is knock out half of the books of the New Testament. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. As we look at this, uh, he wasn't on his own, right? The Apostle Paul didn't have the internet. He didn't have cell phones. He didn't have email. He didn't have modern transportation. And he could not have done all the things that he did without help from a team. He wasn't rogue. He had close associates that traveled with him, that ate with him, that, you know, that did these things to make sure that the church was edified in light of the risen Christ and the ascended Christ. So I actually, I was kind of looking at some things and uh, you have Silas and, and Timothy and Jason were main helpers here. And then I'm starting to kind of go through in my mind some of his other helpers. Lydia helped out in Philippi. Chloe you know, sent word to the Apostle Paul, hey, there's some real problems in this church. You really need to check this out. So Chloe's household was a huge help to the Apostle Paul. And I love Phoebe. I never met her, but I hope to meet her. Uh, Phoebe took uh, the letter to the Romans, which was a very powerful letter. And she, you know, she held on to it real tight, guarded it with her life. And Paul sent her to the Roman church to read that letter. And you know what I see is all these women, how... Uh, were a huge help, right? Women are great leaders. And we look at the New Testament. You know, I can imagine, I can imagine Phoebe taking that letter to the Romans and, you know, she probably was a single girl. She probably was young. And man, she, she made that, that dangerous trek all the way to the Roman church. Almost like she got the pass from the quarterback and she wasn't going to let anything stop her from getting to the church in Rome, you know? So I'm going to meet her and see what she's like and when, when I go to be with her and, and the Lord, and we'll see what happens. So uh, good stuff there. And again, I think about here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields, right? I, I couldn't do this by myself. It's teamwork. There's a lot of people every Sunday and during the week that, that do this, right? That, that get this together. Uh, one of the greetings is grace and peace, is charis ke irene, which means grace and peace in the Greek, and it was a common greeting among the Christians as their hallmark of faith. So how, what does this look like, grace and peace, right? Grace is, right, Christ died for our sins. We, we all sin. He paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Uh, so grace, God showed us grace. Uh, instead of being punished for our sins, we, we get this incredible gift of God that we can have eternal life and know that we have eternal life. And the second part of it is peace, grace and peace. And peace is something that the world desires, except the world looks at peace. A few Sundays ago, I talked about three layers of peace, right? And what that Christian peace really looks like versus the world's peace is like, all right, there's no wars, nobody's bothering me, my boss isn't breathing down my back, I'm happy, I'm at peace. But the biblical peace is that we could have peace in the middle of trial and circumstance. So grace and peace is a great greeting, and it really sums up the Christian faith. Uh, he speaks about God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, years ago, I did a study in the Koine Greek, and uh, it was a very fascinating language. And some of the things that when they're translated into English, 
don't necessarily come out in the English. But when you look at the Greek, I actually have a Greek Bible. It's an interlinear. And you look at the sentence structure, you can make uh, inferences and you can make uh, have understandings based on the sentence structure. And it doesn't come out in the English, but if you look at the Greek sentence structure, I think it's Granville Sharp Rules of Greek Grammar, uh, it basically puts uh, the Father and the Son as co-equal uh, deity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So it's right, it's throughout the entire scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's a lot in here. When we're only on verse one. <laughs> so verse two, the apostle Paul says, we're praying for you and giving thanks for you, basically because what they did, which we'll get to, what a great experience when you can talk to people and share your faith and it catches, right? And all of a sudden, they're just as excited as you were when you first received Jesus Christ. And what happens is, and then they start to grow. And then you're stepping back and go, it's almost like putting a seed in the ground in the good soil with water and sunlight and you watch this beautiful plant grow from a seed. And I, I remember years ago when, when my pastor you know, worked with me and discipled me and man, I was really stubborn. He probably thought, oh, this guy, <laughs> you know. And uh, it was funny because he, he sometimes, you know, we talk and he's, just so proud of me and where, I, where I've come from where I was. But I've done that too. I've seen that with working with people and discipling them, and all of a sudden they, they blossom spiritually. It's just an exciting thing to look at. Um, it's, it's a feeling like no other. So we're praying for you uh, because of what you've done. And again, may we never forget to pray and give thanks for those and to those, right, or about those that we've poured into. So verse 3, the qualities in the church. Now, when I say church, today, you know, meanings change over the years and this, uh, I guess you would call it etymology of words. The church, ecclesia in the Greek, was the people, right? So if all of us, based on the original meaning, if we all left right now, this, wouldn't be, this would be a building. Because the church, you, me, we left. <laughs> the church has left the building. So um, when he talks about it, he's speaking about the people. Not necessarily the inanimate building or where they're located, but the fellowship of believers, you know, sanctified by Christ. So when he speaks about this church, he looks at these qualities. And he talks about, and this is interesting, these, these kind of companions to these spiritual qualities. He says, a work of faith, a labor of love, and patience of hope. These are all expressions of action. Really, there's no place for laziness in a church, Right? And, and when you look at this, work of faith, faith produces work. If I really believe what I'm saying to you, I'm going to study, I'm going to talk to people, I'm going to make this my life goal. So there's, there's work that's involved. Not that work saves us, but faith brings about work, right? I don't want to be lazy, I want to be diligent. A labor of love. Love produces labor. Love produces labor. <laughs> My wife and I, we do a lot of work outside and we've rescued dogs and cats and horses and everything else and people, but um, it, it's work, right? And if my wife is sick, in addition to all the things that I do, I, I want to do her chores and she does the same for me. So, you know, love is a feeling, right? Love is a great feeling, but if you just rely on feelings to get your relationship moving to maturity, it isn't going to work. There has to be actions. You know, at some point, I love you, I love you, I love you, that's great, but 
are we doing something to help that person grow and flourish, especially in their time of need? So uh, the labor of love, right? We love God, we love people, and we labor to bring them closer to getting closer to God. Patience of hope, right? Hope produces patience, right? We hope for things. We hope for the Lord's kingdom. And it causes patience in us. We read the news. We see the horrible things that are happening. We're like, all right, just got to be patient. You know, the Lord's kingdom is coming. It's, it's His timing. And these are all expressions of actions. In verse 4, he says that knowing their election by God. We covered this in 1 Peter 1. Election, how God elects us, is based on His foreknowledge. 1 Peter 1, 2. Right? God's election is based on His foreknowledge. He knows the future. First uh, John five eleven through thirteen. This is important, and I know I didn't give it to my tech people, but I just kind of wanted to throw this in here. First uh, John five eleven. So this is the disciple John who wrote five different books, different times, and he says this. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life, but I'll just say this, that anybody can receive the Son at any time. I've seen many people uh, even going to perish to receive the Lord, if it's genuine. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, it's not just in one denomination, but it's in some denominations. And again, people ask me, why do different Christian denominations believe different things? Because they've elevated different things, teachings of people over the Scripture, which is a problem. So in some denominations, they say, oh, you think you know you're going to go to heaven? That's the sin of presumptuousness. There's nothing presumptuous about it. The Apostle John just told us that if we believe in Christ, we can know that we have it. Well, isn't that a blessing? A lot of religions teach, well, you know, just do some good works and try to do more good works than bad works and follow our pillars and you know, hopefully... No, no, no. The Lord promises us eternal life. You see that all throughout the Gospels. So this is exciting. You can know that you are saved. And that should give us comfort this morning. right? When this temporal world all ends, or when our bodies finally fail and give out, um, we know where we're going. And that's great. Verse 5, The Gospel came not just in word, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with assurance. Now, we can't, Honestly, we can't manipulate somebody into the kingdom, nor would we want to. Nor would we want to. I know for me, you know, I could debate people. I could, you know, share through the sciences, archaeology, paleography, history, and all that other kind of, you know, regular sciences. And, you know, uh, epidemiology was uh, Leviticus 13 and 14. Uh, before anybody knew about droplets and, you know, viruses and stuff, God knew. He told people what to do to cover themselves with their cloaks and keep a certain distance. Um, so there's just a lot of science in the Bible, a lot of sciences, and I can bring somebody all the way to the precipice of faith, right? Where the arguments are all exhausted, they're right here, but for them to actually take that leap has to be that God does His part, the power part. Right? If I do anything that has any power, it's not because of me, it's because of the Lord. So what I try to do is I try to you know, love people, I try to build a bridge, and then I pray for them. And I say, all right, Lord, you're the one who, who does the magic stuff, um, you know, the miracles, 
And sometimes people will come to me uh, weeks later, months later, even years later and say, I believe. I can't take credit for that. God did that work. He finally moved through them and they stopped resisting and they received. So there's, there's the word that Paul says, but it came with power and of the Holy Spirit. Right? And there are some denominations that it's all temporal. They don't, it's, isn't that weird? Like they don't believe in the miraculous. They don't believe in you know, that God moves. They, the deists believe that he, you know, God created everything and he went on a long vacation and basically said to everybody, you're on your own. Um, it, it is what it is. You know, but that's not the God of the Bible. Right? The God of the Bible is active in our lives. And there's a lot of evidence of that. Right? Philosophies in our culture today only come with words. Now, they sound convincing. When I was young, before I was a Christian, listen, colleges are they're, they're, they're the, the Mars Hill, right? College campuses are the Mars Hill of philosophies. They come from all over the world. People debate. They're in the, in the square. I've seen a lot of debates on college campuses. They're very interesting. Uh, and there's all these philosophies. And people say, well, that sounds good. Well, this sounds good. Their ears get tickled. Uh, but they don't produce anything. There's no power. Eventually, it wears off. You ever see somebody so adherent to a philosophy and they're just unhappy? Their philosophy makes them miserable, right? You're following the wrong philosophy because what we follow gives power, it gives life, it gives assurance, it gives hope. And I say that um, a lot of these, you know, this Marxism has come in, in different types of cloaks to our youth. And anyone who's been, a, and I feel bad for the young people, right? Um, I might have bought into some of these when I was in college. I wasn't saved yet. But I've seen people, especially young people, they, they adhere to it. There's uh, powerful people, eloquent leaders, politicians who espouse these things. And they try to follow it. It makes them angry, depressed, hopeless. And quite frankly, it's garbage philosophy because there's no power to it, right? Um, when we look at even uh, Martin Luther King, why was he so effective? Because, you know... Was he a perfect man? No, of course he wasn't. None of us are. But he, you know, I watch all the documentaries. I've listened to his speeches. And, you know, he wanted so bad to, to love people. He wanted people to love him and his movement. And they did. You know, I believe that Dr. Martin Luther King, through his uh, speeches and his biblical principle, uh, principles, won the United States, won the culture over to say, you know what? They started listening to what he said. And when you look at all the different philosophies, his had the most power. And he had relatives that were trying to take him out of where he was and, and say, you gotta, they're, they're going to kill you. They're trying to kill you. You've got to get you out of here. He said, no, I believe that this is from the Lord. So he went into the toughest spiritual realm uh, to preach this message of love and inclusion and unity. And again, the American people fell in love with him as a result of it. So, but, be, but those were his principles, right? And I would just say to anyone who's maybe, you know, we have a lot of people on the live stream. We have people that come, they check out the church. I would just say if you're involved in any of these worldly philosophies, I would say that the grass really is greener on this side. Just try it. Come along. Uh, understand it. Learn. You know, be a part of it. Question, right? Criticize if you must. Uh, but definitely investigate because the grass is greener. In Colossians 2.8, a very powerful scripture, the Apostle Paul says this. He said, beware, and he was saying this to believers, 
And again, this happens sometimes where Christian family, their kids graduate, they go to some college, and they're bombarded with all these philosophies, and, and, and they, they start to get pulled in different directions. Their foundation maybe is not that strong. It says, beware lest anyone cheat you. They're cheating you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, of people, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Well, it continues, it says, for in Him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Man, that's powerful stuff, right? So, Continuing on, if we go back to 1 Thessalonians, actually the last few verses, there's just a lot in here. Starting with verse 6 to the end of the chapter, he says, so again, it's Paul writing to the church of this fledgling church, this group of believers. He says, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Hmm, those two things can happen at the same time. We're going to talk about that. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia, the surrounding region, who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Sometimes the idols are ourselves. I never worshipped idols, but I worshipped myself. So an idol is anything that puts, it's put in place of God. Um, you know, Because some people say, well, I, I don't worship idols. You don't have to. It could be your just self-directed life. It's, you're, you're at the top of everything. Um, from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. So three out of four is the result of ministry teamwork. We talked about the teamwork. They got saved. These people got saved. And going back to verse uh, 5, the Apostle Paul says, you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You know, a lot of people will become like their mentors. And that can be really dangerous. In Matthew 23, Jesus devoted a whole chapter to chastise hypocritical and corrupt religion. And he said, you make your disciples twice the son of hell that you are. Yikes! Jesus said that? Soft and cuddly and squishy Jesus? Listen, when Jesus had to, had to say it, he had to say it. And, you know, it was the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. But you know what? Some of those disciples left them and some of those mentors changed as a result of the Lord's words. And we see that in church history. So this stuff is pretty powerful. It really is. They got saved. What, what does that mean to be saved? Well, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal, eternal life. And people are like, well, I've got to give money to the church and I've got to do this. And you don't got to do all those things. You just have to believe. Right? That's how much God loves us. So the, the wealthy uh, person with... You know, who owns you know, all this land and he's a multi-billionaire. And then the, the poor widow who's disabled and has no friends and lives by herself. You know what he does? We talk about equality, talk about equity. This is what the Lord does, the gospel. He gives both of these people the same opportunity to receive him. 
And that's beautiful, right? People are fighting so hard for, for these things. And equality and all that stuff is all good. But really, when you start to read and see how Jesus and his belief system elevated the downtrodden, it just that's what the gospel does. So it's very exciting stuff to me. Uh, so in verse 6, the Thessalonians became believers in joy and affliction. John 16.33, right? Jesus said to his followers, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And again, I, I got to look at some of those Bible promise books, all the great things they promise us. But I wonder, is the affliction in there promised in the Bible promise book? I'll check it out next time I'm at the store. Uh, but Jesus is like saying, you know, things are not going to be perfect. Right? Some people come from these churches and they, they get them to say these mantras and they, they do these odd things and this, this repetition, vain repetition, Jesus said not to do. And they think that they could will themselves into a better circumstances. Now, do we want good circumstances? Of course we do. But what the Scripture tells us is that we can have joy in affliction. See? And that's the blessing. Because worldly philosophies will be like, well, you've got to change your circumstances. And we should when we can, but we can't always. But what the Lord promises us is, whatever's going on, you can still have that inner peace. And we talked about that a few Sundays ago. Those three layers of peace. It's good stuff. And I tell you, when I started reading this and I was going through things early on, I was like, okay, okay, I'm not crazy. This is normal. I just keep praying. And, and the Lord deliver, delivered me through some of those things. But some of those things took years for Him to deliver me out of. Right? Um, listen, if you're going through something lately, if you walked into this church, I don't know. We, we do a good job with our, the skin on our foreheads and the, the frontal lobe and it's covered by skull bone and I, we, I can't read anybody's minds. God can. So if you came here and you're carrying a burden, talk to the Lord. He wants to help you. He wants to give you that peace. Right? It, it's great therapy. It really is. And, and sometimes churches miss out on this. They always talk about the spiritual part, spiritual part. God cares about us. We're trichotomous. Um, the emotional state is, is a big thing. And the Lord is, cares about that as well. And there's all these scriptures that speak about that. Something we shouldn't forget. You could be this morning struggling with finances, relationships, spiritual affliction, a broken heart. Right? Just keep adding to, to the rest of it, you know. Cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares about you. Verse 7, he said, you became examples in Macedonia and Achaia, the surrounding region. And that's a nice compliment because examples, if you look up the Greek word, can mean sort of like a die or a mold, a stamp. It's the standard. You guys became this fledgling church. You became the standard in these areas around you, right? And, and they enjoyed hearing about their success. They, they, were, they were thrilled. And I'm thrilled too. When somebody goes out from this church and becomes a missionary or even just serves at a soup kitchen, anything. They talk to I have a, a guy I know, he just talks to people in, uh, is it Wawa? I don't think they kicked him out yet, but he just talks to them and shares Scripture with them. And just strangers. That's a wonderful thing, right? Just tries to give them hope. And sometimes you see it's, it's the, the person's face tells a story. 
There's, there's turmoil behind those eyes, right? You know, the eyes, right, or the, or the window, you can see that. Uh, it's the lamp of the body that Jesus said. But they set good examples. And in Macedonia and Achaia, so the Gospels now spread by good examples to the surrounding regions. When it's done right, it's contagious. And when it's done wrong, nobody wants it. Nobody wants it when it's done wrong. I think about Black History Month. Um, Probably the most offensive thing that anybody could have ever done was get this idea to burn crosses on people's lawns. How vile and sick that is. The symbol of love, the symbol of inclusion. Revelation talks about all people coming together under one tent. How sick and evil that is. It is amazing that Christianity still continues to spread even with that bad example. When it's done wrong, nobody wants it. There was a church about 10 years ago. Um, so weird. There's only like 30-something members. But they would go, and they would go to different events, and, you know, and they would have these horrific placards. God hates you. God hates this person. I'm like, seriously? Are you people nuts? I'm glad they, the media loves to, to pray. Oh, these are Christians. No, they're not. They're weird. Um, anything they say is totally against what the Bible teaches. Uh, thank God they're not in the media that much anymore. Because then it makes hard for people like me to say, hey, God loves you. Hey, what about what I saw? Oh, my goodness. you got to start peeling the layers of the onion to get to the heart of the matter because of the bad examples they've seen. But when it was done right, like in the Thessalonians, it spread through Macedonia and Achaia. Amen? And that weird church, even for the years I was uh, kind of watching them, uh, they never grew at all. As a matter of fact, they lost members. What a surprise. (laughs) So... But when it's done right, it's contagious. Verse 8, he says, Your faith has gone out, so we don't need to say anything. Wow, imagine that compliment by the Apostle Paul. Hey, you guys are doing such a good job. Now, they looked at the Apostle Paul with respect, with you know the pioneer. He gave up his entire life to do this. And he's saying, you guys don't need me. Hey, Apostle Paul said that. That's an incredible compliment. I love it. I love it. All right? Uh, and in essence, he's saying, I can't even add to what you have done. If I came out there, I couldn't do any better of a job than what you're already doing. Boy, what a great compliment from a mentor, amen? Right? You ever, even in the business world, you get trained by somebody you have mad respect for, and then you just start kind of coming into your own, and that supervisor goes, I have nothing to say. You're doing a great job. It's incredible. So imagine hearing that in a spiritual sense, Right? I'll just say this too, something that I felt that I said last Sunday that wasn't in my notes, but I feel is worth repeating. Um, some of the best things are stuff that is not in my notes, and God just says, hey, say this, right? Uh, but, you know, uh, we, we've had this discussion in the men's group, and again, it's flattering. Hey, you know, we, we want to go out to, I don't know, evangelize. We want to go out and talk to people in the neighborhood. You know, we did a thing years ago where in this church, like literally a block down the road is a liquor store, so we went like on a Friday, Saturday night, and people were coming out with bags of liquor, and God knows what was going to happen after that. And we were just, some of the people put their bags down. We were talking to them. We gave out Bible. We started talking to them, you know. And uh, listen, being a police officer for 25 years, I've seen horrible things that happen when people drink too much, you know, alcohol and certainly drugs. But um, you know, it, it's just an amazing thing. And, and people say, "Well, Pastor Joe, come with us." And you know, sometimes I can come, I can join, 
But, and, and almost like they're saying, you know, you, you need to come because you're Pastor Joe. And I said this last Sunday, I'm no better than anybody here. A lot of you, I, I observe what you're doing. You have better gifts than I do. I don't have all the answers. I don't have the lion's share of the Holy Spirit. I love what I do. I absolutely love doing this. I love teaching the Word. I love reaching people. I love seeing people get saved. I love going out and talk to people. I love talking to strangers. Some people think I'm wacky, but I just love meeting new people. Uh, but I don't have all the answers. And all of you have just the same opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit as I do. And some, it sometimes have even more of the Holy Spirit than I do from having a bad day or something. But um, Jesus said to his disciples when he talked about prayer, they're all thinking about, hey, we're going to pray for this and ask God for that. And Jesus said to them, for as much as you ask the Father of the Holy Spirit, he will give you. They must Listen, if I was walking with them, I'd be like, oh, I didn't think of that one. <laughs> wow, Jesus, that's why you're Jesus. <laughs> but uh, the Holy Spirit, power, and the Holy Spirit is good stuff. This stuff is real, folks. It really is. I've seen it in action. It makes me happy when I see men and women in this church and young people just go and do things without me. Um, two, two examples real quick is we just had food for the soul. I, I'm in awe when I look at food for the soul. This, the whole downstairs is opened up to feed the community. And most of these people don't even go to our church. We don't charge them anything. We don't make them come to the church. We don't make them do anything. We just feed people. And I'm, I'm watching the outfit, and it's, I call them my super seniors, right? They're all senior citizens running the thing, and they're just moving and picking carts up. And I'm just like watching. There's like food, there's food bags of food, there's clothing, and I'm just in awe of what God is doing. They might be a little sore the next morning, but uh, certainly they have the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And also seeing the young people and the things that they do, right? Uh, I've, I've been blessed to have an open door to go to Montgomery High School and uh, just to go there and see your, your group, right? And you, you guys drive, when you guys come and visit us on a Sunday, it's like it's a long drive to come here from where they are. And, uh, you know, I just go there and they're just so orderly and they have a time of, of fellowship and they have a time of, you know, they, they all get, get organized, get their Bibles open, and, and then it's just it's my turn to preach to them, and they ask questions, and just the way they interact, these, just these young people, these high schoolers who have 10 times the energy that I have, um, I just love it. I'm like, wow, I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this, right? It's just so great from the, the really young to the, to the, the seniors. <laughs> um, it's just a blessing to watch, and sometimes I have to pinch myself. I'm the pastor here. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, but it's really good stuff. And what's amazing is that the Apostle Paul suffered great persecution in Thessalonica, so he was driven out early after founding the church, but the church flourished really without his help. Now, again, I see that today, and I see how some people, you know, I always have to say, stay humble, because if I let it get to my, my head, God's going to say, mm, he's going to deal with me. So you don't let that flattery get to your head. Um, I, the expression said flattery is like perfume just take a sniff but don't drink it you know so <laughs> but where was I <laughs> but uh, you know I see sometimes people and, and they just they live their whole Christian walk 
you know, going on the internet, watching big name pastors and name dropping. Oh, pastor so-and-so, pastor. Do you know pastor so-and-so? And all they do is they, they absorb, they receive, and they don't really do anything with it, right? It isn't about the big names. What's a big name? We're going to talk about this as we, as we get closer, as we start to close, which we are. Um, four, spiritual enlistment. Spiritual enlistment. Let me just say this. So we know that was it, I, I'm, I don't really know anything about football. So if I make a mistake, listen, if I make a mistake on the scripture, I'm going to get mad at myself. If I make a mistake in football, I'm sure people will correct me, but I don't really care. Uh, so was it, the, was it the Super Bowl was last Sunday, right? You could do this or do this, okay? And it was the 49ers against the Chiefs. This, okay. So there was a, a quarterback, right, of... And you know what's amazing? You got to see very dark spiritual things at the Super Bowl, but you also got to see light. And you see the, you know, at any big event, good and evil are going to be there, right? And Brock Purdy, 24 years old, quarterback for the 49ers. Good? Okay. So I've heard him talk about his faith. The dude should be a pastor. He's amazing. He was named Mr. Irrelevant. He's not going to amount to anything. I believe he was third string. And they're like, we don't, we don't expect much from him. Honestly, it was a few... Se- so I know, I said I wasn't going to watch it. I started watching this kid, and I'm like, now I'm glued. Because I know that he had the light in him. And he was just cool under pressure. And he exceeded everyone's expectations. And yeah, they lost by two or three points. One play and a few seconds. Otherwise, the 49ers would have won. Now, let me ask you a question. They lost. Are they losers? Thank you. (laughs) That's what we're talking about here. Big names, big deal. Big deal. Now, there were Christians on the other side too, which was cool, but but to me, I look at this kid and God gave him an opportunity to play, to talk before and after, to share his faith. To me, Brock Purdy is a winner. He's a winner. Uh, And I think the problem with American culture, folks, is we keep looking at things and who won and who lost. That's a poison. That's a poison. And we, when we do this, I've seen this with coaches and, and games with their, their kids. It's like peewee, football, baseball. Like they got to win. They go, what are, you, are you trying to live out your life that you didn't have through your kids? Don't do that. That is not good for the kids. But hey, you did your best. You gave your heart into it. You're a winner. That's how I feel anyway, spiritually. But let's read Second Chronicles 16.9. I know I said I wasn't going to watch it, but then I was glued and it was so close and I don't even know, whatever. Then they started over again and whatever. And just, you could tell I'm not a football person. Saint Chronicles 16.9, it says, now this is a contextual issue here, but this is a very powerful scripture that is diachronistic throughout time. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. That's powerful. So what are the requirements to serve the Lord? Availability. Right? And humility. Does God say He's going to show us strong? No. Because we'll blow it when we do that stuff. Pride goes before destruction. I've seen it many times in my own life. And I'm hoping that I learn the lessons I need to learn. But, but, availability. So that we, he can use us as a vessel to show himself strong so that light can be spread onto other people. 
I never knew who Brock Purdy was before his interviews because of the Super Bowl. Um, I'm going to say this to you. Like the Thessalonians, don't sell yourself short. Right? You might even think, you know, I, I have this, this thing in my head about, I feel like God wants me to do, you know what, keep praying about it, run with it, talk to somebody. But I don't have, you know, when, when I started this church, it, it was a very sad situation because the former pastor, he could sing, he could play the guitar, he was a great teacher, he was, dude was totally charismatic. And I came from a church, and those of you know Pastor Lloyd, well respected, he, he mentored me. And when, uh, so, I, so the person who started the church, I don't want to say his name, uh, some awful secret came out, and he had to leave, and I was sort of an interim pastor. So here I was between this charismatic guy and this, my mentor who's tried and true. I was a nobody. I didn't mind saying it. I'm a nobody. I'm a police officer. What the heck can I do, right? And um, the Lord did a work. And I just had to keep reading the scripture. I had to look at the concepts. For those who had celebrityism in their eyes, I knew they would leave the church, and that's fine. And you know what? Our church became a better place as a result of it. So I'm telling you, I'm saying to you, I don't mansplain, but uh, maybe it is a little bit. In this, don't sell yourself short. So I'm saying it in a good way. I, but I'm nobody. I'm, I'm a whatever, whatever your profession is. If the Lord is calling you to do something, you know what? Do it. Be available. Walk in humility. And you might be amazed what the Lord's going to do through you. So I think that the, this world needs more of that. I think in American culture, we need less celebrityism. And I've seen, I've done a study on pastors and worship leaders who've fallen because the celebrityism brought them so high and they were alone on that high mountain. And when they fell, they fell hard. However, before we go out and serve the Lord, which is what we should be doing, the first step is to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's your foundation. You do that, go with Him. Don't worry about what people say. Please the Lord, and let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossroads. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.